Hello, it's Vikas Pota, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Um, I'm really honored to be here. Thanks for the invitation by the Jacobs Foundation and um, to be presenting some um, insights on the concept of adaptive teaching. Um, maybe to give you a little bit of background information on who I am and um, what I do. So I'm an educational psychologist by training and I study the effectiveness of um, schools and classroom practices in real-world settings. So that means I actually go into schools, I observe classroom practices, I um, talk to teachers, I talk to students, I have them fill out long questionnaires and tests. For those of you who are teachers, they might hate me or my colleagues um, for going into, into the schools and um, taking up your time. And so what we do, we study um, which practices are most effective in terms of both student learning and student motivation. And what I'm going to present today is not only informed by the research that I'm doing, but also by the work I've been doing um, on innovative schools as part of the work um, for the OECD that I've been doing in the past 10 years on projects on innovative learning environments as well as um, innovative pedagogies. So I've seen quite a lot of different schools and um, I will share with you some of my insights on those. Um, you often hear about the big divide between research and practice. Um, and most often what people mean is teachers should pay closer attention to the learning sciences. I mean, this is of course why you're here, this is why we're here, because there is in fact really a great knowledge base that the learning sciences have accumulated over the past decades They can inform classroom practice. But at the same time, we researchers can learn a lot from practitioners and we can learn a lot from those of you who are teachers and who are actually doing the job on an everyday basis um, at school. So I'm really excited to be here, not only to share my own insights, but also to learn from you. I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the um, teacher prize um, uh, finalists and so I'll be um, very excited to find out about new classroom practices and I'm really looking forward also to our discussion after my, my talk. So um, adaptive teaching, a concept which um, I believe has the potential to um, rethink how schools are organized and hopefully um, to um, equip everyone with the competencies to um, be at their full potential. So we've heard a lot about this in the, pre in the previous opening session, how the world has changed, how we live in a um, complex world with being um, surrounded by so many different influences, by using technologies that didn't even exist 10 years ago. And we really don't know what the future will look like. And we can be sure that it will change again, that our everyday lives will be changing again and again, and that we have to readapt to this, um, to our, um, to new situations um, on an everyday basis. And of course, in addition to those um, small kind of 
challenges that every one of us have to deal with, you know, um, maybe how to use this new technolo technological advice. There are also these global challenges like climate change, um, migration, the refugee crisis we just heard about in so many different countries. And so, um, uh, yeah, so we really have to um, also think about how to tackle these, um, these bigger problems and solve um, inequalities in the world and so on. Um, I was recently invited to a conference um, in, in Kyoto in Japan. It was called the um, Science and Technology in Society Forum. It was, um, it was um, called into um, life by the former science minister um, of Japan, and it has been running for about 10 years. And so um, the, um, a lot of, um, and it, it, the idea is to bring together Nobel Prize winners um, for the past several decades, to bring them together with stakeholders um, from policy and also from the industry to really think about those global challenges um, that we're facing and how to tackle them. And so when I was invited, I really didn't know why I was invited. So um, they were um, natural scientists, engineers, and I couldn't contribute to any of the discussions whatsoever. Sometimes I didn't even understand what, um, what the sessions were about. But then it turned out that at the end of every session, um, the people who were, the, who were thinking about the next ways forward, they all agreed that the only way to tackle these big challenges is through education. I mean, this is what we heard in the opening session. And then I was like, okay, now I get why I'm here, because the learning sciences and the educational researchers do have a lot to contribute to how people learn and how we can help people um, to learn better. And so I want to introduce um, um, a concept um, from the learning sciences to you that kind of describes what those um, people at the conference in Japan were talking about and that we are also have been hearing in the opening session. Um, it's what we would call adaptive expertise. So it is the ability to apply knowledge and ef um, effectively to new problems and to different situations. Um, and in order to do that, you have to have a profound and deep knowledge of different domains, uh, literacy, numeracy. We'll be hearing more about this um, by my colleagues um, Kaya and Daniel later today and tomorrow. And not only do you have to have, um, to have a profound knowledge base of these fundamental um, important domains, you also have to have the um, self-regulatory skills. So students um, and, and all of us have to have the um, ability to regulate our own learning process and to become lifelong learners. And, um, and to, be, to, do, to kind of be willing to constantly change the expertise that you have and to revise it and to maybe even kind of, um, yeah, to, to rethink certain assumptions that you've had all your life. And so the question we can now ask ourselves is how are our schools doing um, at promoting such adaptive expertise? And what I would like to argue today is that many schools of today still look like schools of yesterday. Um, so looking at how a classroom looked um, about 100 years ago, at, the fir at first sight you might say, well, 
I mean, we usually, um, or at least um, in, in many countries, um, kids don't really use books anymore. They ha now have tablets. You have replaced chalkboards by smartphones boards in some situations. I see people and <laughs> not shaking their heads that that's not true. It's actually not true in Germany either, so <laughs> where I'm from. Um, and so even though on the outside or on the surface, um, uh, the classroom may, might look different or may look different um, than 100 years ago, the nature of instruction or the way instruction is organized is still very similar to what was done about 100 years ago. Um, so what do I mean by this? So usually a teacher stands in front of a class, kind of like me here right now, and um, is giving new content to, to students. That means the teacher picks the new information, the information and the content, and it's the teacher who provides this information. And it also means that all students in the classroom, usually with, within the same age range, um, receive the same learning content at the same time. And so um, you can, and usually in order to do that, countries um, often try to create homogeneous groups of students. So as I, as I just said, um, you try, in most education systems in the world, they um, group students by age, um, but then also there's um, curriculum tracking where you try to um, put those students into one group that have the same competencies and skills. And so, um, at the time um, public education was invented during the industrial age, that's, that was a perfectly um, efficient way of organizing schools because um, what you needed at that time was routine expertise. You needed the ability to apply knowledge quickly and accurately on routine problems. So that was the main goal of schools when public education was introduced. Um, People, I mean, at the time, it, as I said, it was perfectly reasonable because um, the jobs that we, that, that um, people were having, um, they were usually solving routine problems and not new problems. And the knowledge base that existed at the time was still manageable. Um, well, as we all know, the knowledge base has accumulated or grown quite a, a bit um, since that time. And we also, our workforce um, has, or the, the kind of um, task we ask um, people to do in jobs um, are um, requiring um, to adapt to new situations, to new problems, and um, it's not just solving routine problems anymore. So this is not to say that routine expertise is irrelevant, quite the opposite. You do need a profound basis, as I said, in the fundamental basics um, in order to, have a, to live a meaningful life for yourself, but also for society. And also, if you have um, routine expertise and you know how to solve problems efficiently, um, it will save up cognitive capacity that you will then be able to spend on higher order cognitive functioning skills. Um, so it's, I'm not arguing for adaptive expertise at the expense of routine expertise. It really is trying to do both. Um, so the big question now is how can we develop adaptive expertise? Um, and how can schools and, and teachers um, um, develop expertise, adaptive expertise? 
And in order to um, give an answer to this, we will have to um, first take a step back and um, think about how people learn. Um, and the kind of uh, metaphor that we in the learning sciences typically use um, is the metaphor of knowledge construction. So um, in the early days of the learning sciences, what we thought was that new information was just entering people's minds. Well, that's really not how it works, as most of you probably have experienced yourself. So new information is always interpreted by everyone on an individual basis. It, is, um, it has to be connected to what you already know. It has to be connected to prior knowledge. It has to be integrated with that prior knowledge. It has to be reorganized. It has to be um, changed. And so there's actually a lot of construction going on in your minds when you learn or when you hear new information. And because everybody has different levels of prior knowledge, Obviously, this means that the learning process is a highly individualistic process, so it's different for each and every one of us. And it also means that learners have to be actively involved in producing new knowledge and um, in kind of building up a knowledge base. So, and that kind of brings me to the argument that the teacher just providing all new information without the student being having an active and integrative role in um, the learning exercise may be problematic. And at the same time, because students are so different or everyone is so different, you really need to cater to the different needs and, um, of each and every one in order to have truly an effective um, um, instruction for, for each and every one. Um, so we've been hearing a lot about um, technologies and um, so you could think that maybe if the learning is supposed to be in an individual exercise and everybody um, is supposed to do it actively, so maybe why not have an algorithm that will you know, tell each student what to do next, that will kind of um, diagnose what they already know, give the new tasks, and you know, um, this could be maybe the most efficient way these days to organize schools. Well, I will argue that teachers will and should always play a crucial role for student learning. And this is mainly for two reasons. It takes expertise to make expertise. So sometimes you've all experienced of trying to, you know, when you want to learn a new language or when you want to learn something new and you don't even know where to start. You don't even know where to look, what na name or what concept to put into Google to find. You, you just have to start, start somewhere. And so you do need some sort of level of expertise to actually build um, more expertise. And usually it's, some, it, it's an expert who is more capable um, that will provide you with this. So sometimes all um, you need to have is the missing piece of the puzzle and someone needs to um, give that to you. So, and this is why um, you cannot just completely, um, you know, discover um, new um, concepts on your own. And there's actually quite a robust evidence in the learning sciences that pure discovery learning, where you just leave um, students um, 
to kind of figure out everything by, them, by themselves is highly problematic and is less efficient than the type of classroom that you just saw in the earlier picture. And the second and maybe even more important um, reason for why we will need teachers is that we have the fundamental need to belong. So every human being is a social being, and so learning always takes place through the interaction with your social environment and um, with other social human beings. And for those of you who are teachers, you might have experienced that some of your students are way more capable of um, gathering new knowledge when, they're, when they trust you, when you have a strong relationship, and when you really have this interpersonal, uh, meaningful connection within a classroom with, between students and teachers, but also between students. So it creates a different atmosphere. And so students are more motivated and more than also more capable to take in um, new um, information and to actually construct um, new knowledge. So, this brings me to the concept of adaptive teaching, which I believe is a powerful concept um, of keeping the teacher in the focus of um, attention and, and being like the teacher still being the, the focus of classroom instruction and of schools not being replaced by you know, any technology, despite the fact that, um, as was said in the opening session, technologies can be powerful in helping um, teachers to focus on meaningful relationships because it will just help to, to kind of save um, some time in diagnosing, for example, certain um, learning problems or so. But it, the, the interpersonal connection still has to be present. And so, so what does adaptive teaching um, mean? It is teaching that arranges environmental conditions to fit the individual differences and needs of students. So what do I mean by that? Um, it means that instead of trying to create homogeneous groups of students, as we typically do in most education systems around the world, in adaptive teacher, uh, teaching, teachers actually um, capitalize on student differences. And what's interesting um, that in many schools that I've seen, um, they've actually created heterogeneous groups. So it was really trying to create more heterogeneity in the classroom on purpose. So it was not seen as an obstacle. It was not seen as a problem. It was really the idea that everybody will bring a new perspective to the classroom. And as a community, um, you can share each other um, different experiences and thoughts, and you will learn as a group. Um, and it means that teachers will individualize and personalize learning not only by, di by giving different, um, the different uh, quantity of tasks, but also the, the quality of task um, uh, may be different. Um, for example, um, I, I was in a school um, a, a year ago where we did a small pilot study and uh, we were observing classroom instruction and it, the, the, the teacher asked the students um, to come up questions about uh, water. And it was actually a, a mixed age group with students from one to four. And so you could think that the, you would believe that the first graders were asking a lot of different questions about water than the fourth graders. So, you know, one, one student in first grade was like, how many water is there in the world? And then that student would go find the answer. And then another student would ask, um, 
um, when is water running out? Kind of um, what, also what we heard in the opening um, session, oh, what, what do we do if there's not enough water? Um, you know, tapping into the environmental aspects. And then, um, while the first was a pure math problem, um, and then um, another student was asking, so what does actually happen when water evaporates? So you can see that you, it, individualizing um, instruction doesn't necessarily mean giving like different um, assignments to every student. It can be the same assignment, but within that assignment, you can have students find their own uh, way of learning and again, in the end, bringing it all back together and having a big um, kind of picture on, in that case, what water means for the world and for, for us. Um, and that is very closely related, that example, to the next characteristic of adaptive teaching, which is um, the self-regulation of students, um, of their learning process. So you can imagine when there's um, 20, 30 kids in a, in a classroom and teachers have to adapt um, to those different needs, it's quite a challenging task to do. And so in order to be able to do that, um, you um, or teachers are slowly um, teaching students how to self-regulate their own learning process. So it's a gradual change where um, low-achieving kids um, may have more problems of doing that and higher-achieving kids, because they have more knowledge to connect to, they may be more capable of having such a self-regulatory um, learning process. Um, but it, the, the fundamental goal is that every student will become um, capable of um, yeah, having, like, having a responsible um, or taking responsibility for their own learning process. And, and finally, this does not mean, as I said earlier, that students are left um, by themselves. The, the teachers are still in charge of providing structure and guidance. guidance. And again, this is, ad um, is adapted to the student needs. So one student might be totally fine by um, you know, running off, um, finding out the, the result for, um, you know, how, why water evaporates. Maybe they will go online, they will um, figure it out all on themselves, and maybe the person who, the, the small first-year-old who doesn't know how to um, find out how much water there is in the world, maybe that person will have to have a very kind of fixed um, um, schedule or timeline by the teacher what to do first, what to do next, what to do third. So it really depends on it really depends on the student what um, degree of structure and guidance um, they need. And um, to show you uh, some pictures of a classroom, another classroom that um, I visited as part of um, the um, uh, school effectiveness study that I did, um, you can see a, um, an elementary school classroom, again, mixed age group from um, grade one to four. And as you can see, it's not, it, on the surface, it might look very similar to what you saw in the earlier picture 100 years ago. So no technology whatsoever. So you're very much behind in Germany in that sense. Um, but what you see below the surface is that the kind of instruction is fundamentally different from what you saw in the earlier picture. So here you can see 
um, a first grader working on a problem on their own. You can also see that to the right. Um, um, and you can, there will be um, in an adaptive classroom, students will do different things at the same time. And not only within the same subject, also between subjects. So one student might work out a math problem, another problem, uh, another student might work on a different subject. And um, as you might remember from my, my um, example, the water assignment example, sometimes it's even tapping into multiple um, subjects at the same time. Um, here you can also see two girls who are working on, um, they have a little math game they're working on, they're working one-on-one um, um, -on -one together. You can also have bigger groups of students. You can see um, a student raising their hand and the teacher kind of supervises what's going on in the classroom. Um, students can approach the teacher as you can see that little boy just went up to the teacher and now go goes back to the, um, their, their um, desk. And so there are lots of different activities going on um, at the same time. But this is not to say that there's no um, teacher-led instruction. So as I said earlier, it's also part of an adaptive um, classroom that in, in certain situations, when you want to present new information that's relevant to everyone, you will still have the kind of typical teacher-led instruction that you saw in the earlier picture. So it's, I'm never, I would never argue to get rid of this, to just um, have a more diversified, um, um, yeah, an adaptive um, in, uh, level of instruction in, in classrooms. And here, another picture from um, um, another classroom in the same school. You can see here how a teacher is working with one student. Actually, that teacher was checking um, their homework um, at the time. And what I personally found really interesting was these two little boys lying on the floor. I, I don't know if you have that in your education systems, but I've never seen something like that. And I was told to sit on my chair when I was in elementary school. And so these boys, like within the first one or two minutes um, after instruction started or the class started, they were um, getting up and started lying on the floor. And um, so that to me was already crazy enough. But then um, about 10 minutes into the classroom, they just left the room and they didn't come back. And the teacher also didn't care. And I really didn't understand what was going on. It's like, they don't want to learn. They didn't seem not motivated. You know, they were kind of, working with themselves. So after the end of the lesson, I went back to the teacher and I was like, where did they go? And did you not realize they were leaving? And then she was like, oh yeah, yeah, they, I know they left. It's, it was a third grader trying to teach a first grader how to read. And they realized that it was necessary to read it out loud and not whisper, to have the pronunciation right. And so what they did, they were moving into the hallway so they wouldn't disturb anyone else. And apparently it's a common practice um, in that school um, to be able to move around the school and pick places that you find best for your own um, learning process. And as you can imagine, that you know, um, um, needs a, there's a lot of trust needed on the side of um, teachers to you know, have them go into the hallway um, and to, to learn on their own. Um, so it's, it's a challenging, it's a challenging um, task for teachers. Um, 
And um, it's easy for me to stand here and say, I've observed this and um, you now you should all do it. It takes a long, it takes a, it takes a long way to get there and um, it's about the gradual change in my view of changing from teacher-led classroom instruction where the teacher is doing all the work to a more um, kind of adaptive expertise oriented um, 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 classroom that you just, um, the, the kind of examples that I just um, presented to you. But hopefully by equipping students with adaptive expertise, to go back to the name of the, the topic of the conference, um, um, they, will be, they will have the necessary competencies um, to tackle the problems of the future and to change the world. And as a final remark, not only to what I just um, told you, but also to what you may be hearing throughout the next two days from um, Space A in the learning sciences, teaching is an art, not a science. So whatever you hear from me, from somebody else, you have to integrate it with your own prior knowledge, with your own expertise from class, for those of you who are teachers. Um, um, with um, what you know from teaching. And you, sometimes you might think, no, that doesn't really fit my context because again, you also have to adapt to that information to your own context. And we as scientists, we do have a great knowledge base available that we can um, help you or make us accessible to you and to use, but you will be the one um, that will actually have to put it into practice or to say it in, uh, different words. We may provide you with the colors, but you will still have to paint the painting. And so thank you, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yes. Yeah. Oh, uh, I saw, do you, want to, do you want to go first and then we have you second? <laughs> do, do you mind standing up and maybe telling your background so um, we know what your prior knowledge and your expertise is? Hello? Okay. Yeah. Hi, I'm Dima Radwan from KHD. Uh, I just want to uh, ask you, you referred in your, in your presentation about the diagnostic practice and diagnostic algorithm, but further after that you didn't link it that, uh, that clearly to the adaptive teaching. So if you can elaborate on this part. Yeah, so in order to, um, and I, I'm definitely not the person to talk to you about um, how technology can help you diagnose um, learning um, problems, that's um, Amy who will be the person to talk to who is, um, who is after me. But um, the idea in adaptive teaching is that um, diagnosing students' competencies is um, extremely um, necessary in order to be able to adapt. So not only diagnosing in the sense of giving um, you know, standardized achievement tests or big tests at the end of the school year or the end of um, a, a longer period of time, it really means um, what we would call formative assessment. So having a continuous um, um, assessment of student competencies, which might actually be informal. I mean, 
an assessment can even be a question um, to a student. Can you tell me what you know about this? Can you tell me what you know about that? And so a good teacher will actually be able to relate that back to um, what they want the student to learn. So it really is about trying to get as much um, process information along the way on many different levels. And you can also have students be involved in this type of formative assessment by kind of um, also self-evaluating whether they think they have learned, whether it's to you ask them um, whether they th where they think they will still need help. So the, 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 the idea of diagnostics is highly um, relevant for adaptive teaching. And of course, if you have uh, technologies to help you with that, that will be great. Um, but it's not, um, it's not um, let's say, um, it's not needed and um, it will not guarantee that you will actually be able to use that information to adapt your teaching. Does that answer your question? And then I saw a question. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is uh, Andrew Zinchesi. I'm from Malawi, the warm heart of Africa. Um, and I teach at a primary school mm -hmm. and a teacher training college. Uh, at a primary school, my class has uh, 155 learners. And, and then I was looking at uh, the challenges on how best we can adapt the various technologies that are, it's large, under-resourced. We are provided with, with tablets, 26 tablets against 155 learners. Uh, it's, it's quite a challenge, but maybe since we have got uh, a diverse, diverse professionals here, maybe they can actually assist. The second thing is just to make a comment on the um, pictures that you presented and then you were referring to, to say this is 100 years ago. In Malawi, that's today. I know. <laughs> <laughs> that's today. So um, even learners are sitting on the floor in, mm -hmm. in many, many, many classes. I'm not trying to, 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 but I'm trying to tell you the truth about the situation in, in some parts of the sub-Saharan Africa. So, but the first question, how best uh, in that regard can we adapt the technologies to ensure that learners acquire the necessary skills? Thank you. So thanks, thanks for sharing this insight and for reminding all of us that, and me, that I'm also coming from a specific cultural background and my knowledge about the educational system has been formed by what I saw in, um, in countries like Germany or other European countries. And so it's always important to keep in mind that this is not the only perspective. And um, yeah, so um, it's really important um, for us to, to share this knowledge. So if I, if I understood you correctly, so it's 100 to 150 students in the school and you have to teach all of them at the same time? Yeah, I'm saying Under yes. Under the tree. Yes, we have to teach them, all of them, okay. uh, from 7.30 to, to half past two in the afternoon. Under the tree. Thank you. So, 
as I said, um, I'm coming from my own background and I'm not sure if I'm the right expert to be asking this question because you clearly have more expertise in teaching these students. So I actually um, would like to ask you how you've done it um, in the past and then maybe I can respond and give you some ideas on maybe what you can do differently but I, I would know from, you know, just uh, the top of my head how to teach 150 students under a tree at the same time. <laughs> the reality. Yes, um, and, and it's good and that you're reminding us. Yes, yeah, but, but maybe what I normally do is uh, to teach, to, to break the class uh -huh. into, um, I would say, into teachable chunks. I'll have a certain number of learners uh, teach them, but then you find out that the lessons will go on and on and on nearly the whole day. Mm -hmm. um, and then when you're, when you're with this group, the learners will be missing. This, this group you're with, mm -hmm. they'll also be missing uh, the other class because you have to split with this group, teach them whilst others are outside. Yeah. You know, but you're trying to adapt. Mm -hmm. and, and I mean, that's kind of like what you can see in those adaptive mm -hmm. classrooms, that there is sometimes teacher-led classroom instruction for smaller groups mm -hmm. and that will move throughout the day. So yes. maybe there will be five kids who will need some extra input on some concept and then the, the teacher will move to a different group. So that's actually very much in line with sure. um, what you see in, in or what, what I've seen. I wonder if you could also make use of um, collaborative learning in the sense that um, you can um, kind of um, try to get your students to help each other and to teach themselves, uh, to teach each other and to kind of um, make them value um, to pass along their knowledge and to be in, to actually look for, for help by someone else. So not put all the burden on you, but really to um, kind of use every resource you, can, you have to, to say, we have a challenge here, we have an, you know, a big exercise, you all need me, we, I need you to help me to, to teach you. So, but that's just an idea and clearly you are the expert. Okay, now there's, uh, I don't know if I can do what? Oh, perfect, perfect. That's collaborative learning right here. Hello, uh, my name is Anna. I'm from South Africa originally. And um, I want to say to my colleague from Malawi, yes, uh, it is true. We, we do sometimes teach under trees for immense numbers of children. One research project in South Africa that worked amazingly well, was to train illiterate parents and grandparents to be classroom assistants. Mm -hmm. And um, even just listening to children's reading, somebody who could not read herself but could understand the reading, and just provide that substance and that structure worked extremely well. Um, so to use community resources okay. is a small part of the answer. But it's a good answer, yeah. There's more comments or questions? Hi there. Um, I'm Dr. Robert Wells. I'm subject leader for creative arts for the Ministry of Education here. Um, my question is, how does adaptive learning differ from socio-constructivism? 
because it feels like you're drawing on the key themes of socio-constructivism. Oh, yeah. yeah. What's new about this as opposed to that theory? Um, it's kind of um, putting the focus on, um, so the, as you're saying, it's, it's kind of, uh, ba it's based on the, the principles of social constructivism. That's how it was um, developed. And the idea is that um, I think one of the, the main um, ideas is that the teacher will work in a group and that oftentimes when you, um, when you hear about um, constructivism, um, that you, um, learning becomes very individualized. And so the idea is that the, or the goal of the teacher is to bring every student back into the middle ground of the, the classroom to kind of, to have them go out, do their own kind of learning process, but then again to bring the different views and ex, um, experiences back into a shared experience. So I think the idea of community, the idea of having a group context in learning, um, I think that I would say is the fundamental characteristic of adaptive teaching that might be implicit in uh, social constructivism, but it's never actually said out loud. And oftentimes constructivism moves into the direction of everybody does their, does their own thing. Thank you so much. My name is Kazuya Takashi. I'm a 2016 Global Teacher Press Top 10 finalist. Um, I use Lego in my class a lot, so I totally agree with you. And also, I'm vice principal at middle school in Tokyo. Um, teachers are very unique species, unique creatures. They're, you know, they're passionate, you know, they're proud of their job. At the same time, that prevents them from learning new things, just like your new ideas, social, social constructions and whatsoever. But, when you, then we have to, you know, as you said, like we have to equip teachers uh, with new ideas, um, you know, learning science. What, maybe you have a workshop or so kind of stuff, you know, to, um, uh, to train teachers. What, in that case, what do you uh, uh, put high priority on when you have a workshop? What do you usually teach, um, tell teachers to change their, change their mindset? That's a really important point, and it's actually probably the most challenging thing um, for um, us in educational research to think about how to actually do um, teach to change teacher um, practices, teacher behavior. Um, I'm running a project where we're um, we're um, evaluating such a program for teaching teachers how to teach adaptively, and as part of. Um, and, and what's a very integral part of that program is having teachers try out new things, um, kind of adapt this kind of information, for example, what I, um, what I gave to you right now, adapt it to their own classroom context, um, come up with an assignment that will be adaptive and then put it into practice, bring it back to the, um, 
to the group of teachers who are in the program. And so the teacher will have, will again have collaborative learning. So I think um, collaborating between, with other teachers kind of guided by um, um, teacher educators or even researchers, um, I think is a good way to do this and um, to really share the expertise because the expertise is usually present. I mean, as we could just see, it is present and you, I mean, I don't know how it is in your case, but in, in the, the cultural context where I'm from, when a teacher closes the door, nobody really knows what they're doing. So there, it's not the idea of sharing your, your expertise. Um, and so, um, again, every teacher has to construct their own um, knowledge base of how they can teach adaptively. And so it really is a matter of guiding this process and of trying it out and, yeah. And I think it's a gradual process. I think it takes a long time. And there's actually a risk of putting too many changes into the classroom at once and asking teachers to do, many, to do too many things differently at once because then they will be um, cognitive, cognitively overloaded and will not have the capacity to look at the individual needs. So I think taking small steps at a time, I think is a very um, wise thing to do.